they make me feel safe. Even if if the character themselves isn't in a safe situation or whatever, I just feel like, oh, I like this person telling me stories. It's like your dad reading your bedtime story when you're a kid. It's like, I like this experience. And so my favorite actors, that's what they make me think about. Hello, welcome to This Is My Cinema. This is a podcast from the British Independent Film Awards all about celebrating our cinemas and the brightest stars on our screens and behind the scenes. I'm Rihanna Dillon. And I'm Michael Leader. And a couple of months ago, Rihanna and I had a series of amazing conversations during the week of the Biffa Awards. We spoke to Harris Dickinson, Neve Algar, Sarah Gavron, Morveth Clark and Reggie Yates, all about the cinema experiences that shaped their lives. And we had such a great time doing that that now with cinemas opening up again, we wanted to carry on. So over the next few months, we're going to be talking to loads more names from the world of film and TV about the cinema experiences that shaped their lives. And of course, what they think the ultimate cinema snack is. Well, yeah, obviously, the most vital question for any cinema goer. And we're also going to be talking about some of our most memorable experiences in cinemas. So, Michael, what is one of your most memorable experiences at the cinema? So, this has a link with this week's guest, so a little tease before we reveal who they are. Our guest this week studied acting up in Glasgow, and I have a very fond memory. I know, Rihanna, you asked me about one of my favourite cinema experiences. I had a great experience at the Glasgow Film Festival only a couple of years ago, seeing the classic that is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure in a shopping centre. Oh my goodness, amazing. What? And they even had some actors as Abraham Lincoln, Joan of Arc, etc., bothering us throughout the screening, giving us free ice cream, which certainly helps. That sounds incredible. So you've teased our guest. I think it's now time to reveal. We have joining us the star of Lucifer, Tom Ellis. It has been so fun talking with Tom, you know, him from Lucifer. I remember him from Doctor Who mm-hmm. way back when he was also in The Fades. BBC Three drama from years ago. I had a really, like one of my earliest crushes I remember was on Tom Ellis. So this is quite special and exciting for me. (laughs) And as we said, he did study drama in Glasgow. So we will hear a little bit about that as well as his travels and adventures around the world transatlantically. So here he is talking about all of his favourite cinema experiences, Tom Ellis. Tom Ellis, thank you so much for joining us today. So for the duration of this conversation, this is your cinema, and we like to kick off with a question. So we have free reign of a cinema for an evening. What film would you like us to sit down and watch? So the film that I'll always watch, whether it's just started, whether it's like three quarters of the way through, that I've always loved is The Shawshank Redemption. That is my favourite film of all time. It may not be the best film of all time, but it's my favourite. That always comes at the top of people's mm-hmm. favourite film list, it does. doesn't it? Why do you think so many people love that film so much? I mean, I, I think it's the ultimate story of hope, really. And I think that that is a huge kind of... That's a huge thing for people. I mean, what do you want at the end of a movie? You want people to be thinking that things are better uh, or could be better. So I guess, for me, that that's what grabs me about that movie. I mean, you'll never beat the first time you see that movie. And you'll never beat that reveal and all of that, you know, when the warden comes <laughs> in and he's not in the, you know, and you think he's killed himself and all of it. It's just, I, I, I'm just fascinated by it. But I think the simplicity of it as well, 
the simplicity of the human condition, what humans can do to each other. There's just something beautifully nostalgic about the time of that movie. And people struggle to say, oh, they have a favourite. They go, oh, I shouldn't have a favourite. It should be a top five. But if you're going to ask me what my favourite film is, it's probably The Shawshank Redemption. That's an excellent choice. And actually, I'm, I'm excited already because I don't think I've watched The Shawshank Redemption since I was quite small, probably on VHS. Right. From local rent video shop. Yeah. So seeing it in the cinema could be quite transcendental in a way, I yeah. imagine. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen it in the cinema, but when we're talking about cinema experiences, like I was a late bloomer going to the cinema because it wasn't something that my family did. But what we did do was we'd go on a Friday, me and my three sisters and my dad would go to the video shop in Swindon <laughs> and choose a video, which was like a, a really difficult process trying to agree on something but that is that's how I saw Shawshank Redemption and that's how I saw many of my first kind of movies who normally got their way the most my twin sister because she was the moodiest if she didn't like what we'd chosen she just wouldn't watch it and go to a different room which was unacceptable in my household I remember other movies watching in that experience that I still love that were on my top list um, Back to the Future came out around a similar-ish uh, time but you know well actually it was a bit, bit before that before Shawshank but Back to the Future Weirdly, because uh, we used to do this on my birthday as well, Twins with Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Not one of my favourite films, but it's just bringing all this nostalgia back about choosing films in that particular video shop. So does a particular, I know you say you're a late bloomer, but does a particular cinema come to mind for the perfect venue for the screening? Well, yes and no, it does. My best cinema experience was actually an outdoor cinema in London, in Victoria Park, actually, in, in Bethnal oh. Green. Now, a certain beer company that rhymes with Bella Barbois um, used to do a thing called Screen on the Green. And I remember going to see Gladiator. I just had moved to London from being at drama school in Glasgow. And me and a few of my mates were going, oh, we're going to watch Gladiator. And I remember being outside in this massive screen and everyone sitting with their picnic blankets and drinking said beer. And it was a real kind of like, it was like a football atmosphere. It was like being at a football game, especially, you know, when he slays everybody, he says, my name is Marco Aurelius and all that business. And everyone's like, yeah, cheering. And it was like a really visceral kind of experience of being in a crowd watching cinema, which is kind of weird because the antithesis of that, what, what, the thing that I hate in the cinema is people talking. Can't stand it. Can't stand it at all. What do you do? What do I do? I do the very British thing, which is I don't confront it head on. I just make muttering noises to myself and like look around <laughs> a lot. And things like that. I can tell you a really funny experience that I had at Stratford Picture House in East London, right? Mm -hmm. I went to Stratford Picture House, and this is before it was all redeveloped for the Olympics. When I first moved to London, I shared a house in East London with James McAvoy and with a couple of other actors that we'd all been together at drama school. And we went to go and watch a screening of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? at Stratford Picture House. And there must have been a smattering of people in there, but maybe about 10 people in there. And two of the 10 people were like these adolescent, I don't know, 13, 14-year-old boys who had obviously not gone to watch the, the movie. They'd just gone to like talk to each other. And mates were annoyed, but no one said anything. But there was a guy there who was on his own who was not particularly British in the way that he confronted it. And he was like, shut up, just shut up. And of course, the more he was telling these kids to shut up, the more they weren't shutting up because, you know, you know how it works. So eventually, literally about half an hour into the film, this guy stands up and he walks over to one of the kids and he goes, I he told you to shut up. And he smashes him around the back of the head. 
at which point everyone in the cinema stood up and was like, whoa, easy, mate, easy, easy. And, and then the kids are like, whoa, easy, whoa. And there's a sort of back and forth between these guys. And he wasn't like relenting, the guy that had done the whacking. So these kids like got up and they tried to leave the cinema. And the guy was like, you're not going anywhere. And he started chasing them. And then there was like this Benny Hill chase. This chase that went like in front of the screen with these silhouettes of these people. And they FO'd out of the cinema. And then he went back to his seat all disgruntled and hugging, told her, shut up. And everyone was a bit like, that was really weird and intense. And sat down to watch the rest of the movie. And then about another five minutes go by. And then all of a sudden the movie just stopped. And the lights came up. And these two uniformed police officers walked in, said, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've had to pause the movie. You've all been witnesses to an assault this evening. <laughs> and basically, this, the manager of the cinema came in, said he's going to give you a token so you can come back and watch a different movie at a different time. And we all had to stop watching the movie and give police statements for an assault that we watched. So there you go. That's my most bizarre cinema experience. And that's why people shouldn't talk in the cinema, just in case that guy's there. <laughs> That's what we've been missing out on for the last year, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, the first time I remember going to the cinema w- with my mum was we'd saved up tokens from Signal Toothpaste. And she'd saved up these tokens and then she'd sent off and we all went to go and watch 101 Dalmatians, like the, the animated version, the original. And I think there was a re-release like in the 80s at some point. And that's what we went to go and see. That's my first experience. <laughs> That's so lovely. I think one of my earliest cinema experiences was 101 Dalmatians. Again, must have been another re-release. I remember a Dalmatian birthday cake when I was about four or five that my dad had decorated for me. Every generation will have to go and see 101 Dalmatians at the cinema. It's got to be done. Michael, did you ever go? (laughs) Yeah, I think everybody has their one, right? So The Lion King for many people. I think, or Little Mermaid. There was the re-release of The Jungle Book in the early 90s for a lot of people around our age, Rihanna, maybe saw around then. So yeah, Disney's always the first for many people. Beauty and the Beast was the other one that came out, wasn't it, during that time? Yeah. So so Tom, when when you were up in, it's Glasgow, wasn't it, where you went to drama school? Did you have a dalliance with trying to be a cinephile then, going to the cinema up there? I think I watched a lot of videos around people's houses because obviously as a student, not much money. But I do remember that was my experience being in Glasgow. I went to go and watch Titanic when I was at drama school. I hated it. Is that really bad of me to say? I just remember thinking, watching that movie, when's it going to (laughs) sink? That's the bit I was waiting for. I was waiting for the big dramatic because obviously you'd heard about how much money they'd spent on it and they'd, you know... And it looked on the trailers like incredible. And it was incredible, that whole experience of the ship sinking. But the, the sort of two hours that led up to that was, wasn't for me. Wait, really. so you didn't really enjoy like the steamy hand on the inside of a carriage? That bit wasn't, you know, mm, titillating enough. Steamy hand. <laughs> I thought that was a bit cheesy at that moment in time. <laughs> All I kept thinking was harness, harness that warmth. You're going to need it later. <laughs> for, like, for so many people, someone like Leonardo DiCaprio is the actor that they will just go and see him in no matter what. Do you have that actor or actress that you will just, whenever they're in, doesn't matter, you will go and see it even if you know it's going to be dreadful? Tom Hanks is one for sure. Ken Branagh is another. Mm -hmm. And Mark Rylance is another, right? And these three actors, there's something that I love about them. There's a childlike quality that these actors have. There's a fun, even Ken Branagh, he seems like the most depressive of souls, but he finds this fun in his characters that's, that's childlike and there's an innocence to it. And I there's something about Tom Hanks' quality in that. And so and certainly about Mark Rylance, whenever you see him in, in things, certainly on stage as well. He recesses back to something to, to make his discoveries as the actor. And I, I love that about those people. Shawshank's my favourite movie, 
but I love the Green Mile, and they seem like very similar movies, and they came out at a very similar time, but mm -hmm. um, very different films. And Tom Hanks, you know, for me, that's one of my favourite things that I've seen him do. Mm. Obviously, Forrest Gump was just mind-blowingly amazing. But then you watch things like Captain Phillips, where he gives a very, very straightforward performance. I'm getting hairs thinking about it right now. because The moment at the end of that movie, when he gets finally saved, and he kind of goes into shock, and everything that he's had to like hold on to for the whole movie, he's able to suddenly let it go, and he lets his how, he's, how he really feels come out, and the shock that, that he plays in that moment is so devastatingly brilliant that people just think that he's just this, I don't know, fun kind of... I, I don't know what people think about Tom Hanks, actually, about his kind of, like about how multifaceted he is as an actor. Captain Phillips is one for me, of a very strong cinema experience, seeing that upstairs at the Prince Charles Cinema in London, but almost ruined by another one of my nightmare cinema goers, oh, no, which is the know-it-all husband, oh. who's explaining the film all the way through, <laughs> patronising, mansplaining to his wife. Oh my God, and what's to explain? Exactly, it's like, they've been taken over. <laughs> He's the captain now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just repeating the dialogue brilliant oh but God. tom you've picked out some cracking actors there and so many great films across that sort of period where you'd be a young actor like mm. maybe looking for idols looking for role yeah. models as an actor what are you taking from these actors when you see them in in films i, mean, I guess we could be highfalutin and talk about craft but what is it you're taking well, I think that what I was just touching on then, that, that, that sense of fun that these people have, in the darkest of situations, they still manage to find comedy. And I don't mean that they're not, they're not looking for it, but there's something about them that has that. But I think Emma Thompson, as well, is another one who has this quality, where they are on screen, I feel safe. I just can like sit back, I can relax, I can be taken somewhere. Right? And Julie Andrews, Mary Poppins is one of my top five films of all time. It's just brilliant. She has this ease about her and I just love that and I, I don't think it's anything I can particularly put my finger on it's I, you know I can't say oh, because they went away and spent two months like doing this and crafting and stuff it's nothing to do with that it's to do with that kind of x factor I guess for me and it's only certain people that have it and they make me feel they make me feel safe even if the character themselves isn't in a safe situation or whatever I just feel like oh I like this person mm -hmm. telling me stories it's like your dad reading your bedtime story when you're a kid. It's like, I like this experience. And so my favourite actors, that's what they make me think about. I have to say with Julie Andrews, especially in Princess Diaries 2, that is my comfort film. And she oh is my God. excellent in She's it. so good. I love her. I, I think about films like growing up. The big experience for me was at Christmas time when we get the Christmas radio times. And I'd go through the list of what films were on over the next few weeks. And I'm like, oh my God, that sounds great. And Mary Poppins always on five stars. Brilliant. Definitely. Let's take that. I would all, at Sound of Music, again, I would always watch that. And I, I, it's something about, there's a nostalgia about it, but there's a, there's a safe, there's a, just a, an enjoyment factor and a safety about that. Um, I get very excited about Julie Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> As you can tell, because she's brilliant. She's just brilliant. Julie Andrews has that quality. You know, Emma Thompson has that quality. Julie Walters has that quality. All these things that we're talking about, people that just, I just like want to melt into my armchair when I see them on the screen and go, oh, we're safe. Let's watch this. So what's beautiful about that is you talk about the serendipity and the happenstance of the radio times of going to the video shop, arguing over what to watch. How do you recreate that now as an adult, maybe with your own kids? It's difficult. 
It's difficult because like anything now these days, the kids have got so much choice and not just choice in film, but choice in any sort of content, anything that is visual or interactive or anything, including horrible things on social media. <laughs> I can lose one of my kids. I can lose to like YouTube videos for hours if I let her. So it's difficult to get everyone in the same space and everyone's attention and pointing in the same direction. And it always seems to be like a sacrifice for somebody. <laughs> Like the other week, my kids finally got me to sit down and watch Big Hero 6. Now, I'm glad that they did because I absolutely loved it. It was fantastic. We had a really unique experience, or not unique experience, but I think it's unique these days of sitting down and really enjoying a movie altogether. But I just feel like that doesn't exist as much these days. So how often are you pushing Mary Poppins and The Sound of Music on them? Uh, Well... I have to say that uh, I push Mary Poppins a lot, and I will always push that. One of my biggest cinematic disappointments recently was going to see Mary Poppins Returns. Listen, a huge Emily Blunt fan, so let's not, you know, um, and Lin-Manuel, huge fan of him. It was that classic thing of, it just, it, it lacked the magic. And I think it lacked the magic, not because of the, the magic of Mary Poppins is one thing in that movie, but the first movie is about, a father and a, and a family reuniting and that love finding each other again in that family. And she is the glue that brings that together. And then she goes away at the end. And that would be tragic had she not left this family all happy together. And I just felt like the second movie just lacked all of that heart in the first movie. You know, I would not have expected, this is why I love Tom. So the Julie Andrews stan <laughs> that we talked to would be that it would be Tom Ellis, star of Lucifer, right now. You know, you could tell that story, but swap in Star Wars or swap in Marvel, like that's not the way it should be. Superman's the real deal, but no, this is it. No, Mary it's Poppins weird, Returns versus Mary Poppins the original. I look back at my sort of my childhood. Like I've I've got like female presence is huge in my life. I've got three sisters, I've got three daughters. You know, I grew up in the church, uh, so th- there wasn't a lot of testosterone in my household when I was growing up. Not to say that I didn't, like, I loved the first Star Wars movies, but it wasn't like my dad was dragging me to the cinema to watch them. My comfort was my parents' sensibilities, really. And that included, like, musicals and epics <laughs> and things like that, really. And then I found my taste and my sensibilities as I was growing up, which is probably vastly different to what my parents is now. It's interesting that you're sort of, you know, a celebrity fan of Julie Andrews. I was looking at your Twitter and I saw that, Dion Warwick is a celebrity fan of yours and of Lucifer. That must her. be such a surreal experience to have it. her falling over your show. It's incredible. I was so I, overwhelmed and happy about that. I've had a few experiences along the way where I'm like, really? You're a uh, um, Snoop Dogg, Lucifer fan? <laughs> what? Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Alice Cooper, Lucifer fan. Oh, my God. I that I can believe. That actually, that I can believe. Yeah. How, Howard Stern, massive Lucifer fan. Wow. It makes me very happy. <laughs> <laughs> but the Dion Warwick was the one I was like, okay, that's cool. That's street credibility. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that is very cool. Thinking about playing Lucifer, I just want to take you back to the very beginning when you were like, okay, I'm going to be playing the devil. There are mm. so many different incarnations of the devil on our screen, small screen, big screen. So if you think of the devil and you think you've got to play your own version, do you take inspiration from other ones that you've seen over the years? Is it impossible not to? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's that weird one where it's like, I don't want to be overly influenced by other people's choices. Obviously, there's this kind of expectation about this character, who he is and what he does and, and all of those things. I think the fun with those sort of things is always to kind of 
inverse it and flip it on its head a little bit. For example, everyone was like, what about this version of the devil? And what about that version of the devil? The version of the devil that I have enjoyed cinematically was Peter Cook in Bedazzled. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, because again, finding the fun in that irreverence was part of the charm. And it's like, if it's all going to be dark and horrible, this is, and it's for me, like, that's great for a movie. But if you're going to do a long running TV show, or something's going to go on and on and on, you don't want to bring it down every week. You want to find some fun in this character. And this character, with the way that it was conceived on the page, was this sort of irreverent character who found the fun in, in, in saying whatever he wanted to people. And, you know, it was written a little bit in a way that there was a particular kind of cadence or meter to the way that the character was written when I first got the pilot script. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it to start with as, as to how it should be done. And I started sort of experimenting with things and obviously it was a, it, I was in America and it was an American pilot season so it didn't specify the character was British so I think you know everyone's instincts to start with was to try American and I did and that just didn't work it just was crazy and to be honest with you not very likable and it was too earnest and what he was saying wasn't earnest and so I think that then that took me back to people like Peter Cook and Bedazzled and people like Oscar Wilde, people like Noel Coward, and thinking about how, you know, they had a certain way of delivering lines that were so witty and fun and undercutting, but they were delivered with such pace and irreverence and glee that you didn't really care. And the person receiving it was like, oh, that was charming, and then realised slightly afterwards that they've just been like zinged. Um, <laughs> so that kind of was like the gateway for me to this character. And so... I yeah, I think you know of all the kind of film references, Peter Cook and not Keanu Reeves was my was my devil. <laughs> <laughs> and being in a few like pilots that haven't gone, and I've done a series that we did a season of, and then it got cancelled. And I think that you know part of the success of Lucifer certainly over here has been that I was able to find a character that was British, and that therefore was a bit different, and was able to kind of get away with stuff a little bit as well, and just add a new dimension to things that they're not used to. If you can permit me a bit of a nerdy question. Please. So I'm one of those people that like going to cinemas because I have a list of cinemas around the world I want to go to, and a good few of them are LA-based. Yeah. And have you been out to the cinema much in LA? Any highlights out there? Literally, I live about a five-minute walk from the Arclight, which sadly has just closed down. I mean, I think it will reopen again in some other form, and I, I'm I'm hoping as a as a cinema, but yeah, it's just closed down as a result of COVID. So it's 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 really sad. And the the chain operates the Cinerama Dome, which is a particularly beautiful cinema, like 1950s almost sci-fi style of cinema. Because it's just a big golf ball dome, yeah. And that's basically the cinema where I used to go and watch things. I think it just represents a lot to a lot of people because it's right in the centre of Hollywood as well. I also live not that far from the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, where they do. They do nighttime screenings there in the summer as well. I, I think the, the the collective experience is is something that's very unique, and mm. and I think that there, there's probably a few experiences I've had in the cinema where I go, oh my god, I'm glad I was there for that. One one that really sticks out to me was the Odeon Leicester Square. I didn't know anything about the movie. I was lucky enough because my agent was in town from the states to go and watch Whiplash, <gasps> the London premiere of Whiplash. Oh, I was there. Now, were you there for that? I was there, yeah. It was rammed full. The cinema was chock-a-block, right? And so that's quite a couple of thousand people. And it was the energy in that place 
was kind of like just so unique yes. in a film watching experience for me. And that, because the film is kind of a little bit like that as well, isn't it? It's a little bit like you can't let go. Yeah. And um, obviously I love music so much. I was just I'd like all of it, all these things conspired on that evening to, my, to make me go, oh my God, that was one of those nights. And I just thought it, the film is brilliant. But it, is, it was a brilliant film to watch with a collective of people. I agree. There are so um, many notes in that, that, you know, these beats that get hit where you kind of jump all at the same time and you're yeah. sort of not breathing all at the same time. And you're yeah. right, it's an incredible collective experience. J.K. Simmons in that, like, it felt like you were at the whim of that character. But even as an audience member, you're just kind of like, what's he going to do now? What's he going to do now? What's he going to do now? He was just brilliant. I love that. I love that film so, so much. I'm glad you had such a sort of... We had a shared the experience there without realising it. That's what I loved. <laughs> on the flip side of films, I should have watched in the cinema and watched on the tiny like back of an aeroplane seat, Avatar. Oh, God! <laughs> Tom, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I don't know. I just had never got around to watching in the cinema. And then I was like on a really long haul flight and I was like, oh, Avatar's on. I knew that my, my wife wasn't going to watch it. So I <laughs> I just was like, oh, I'll give it a go. I really enjoyed it as well. <laughs> I did. I really enjoyed it. I know it wasn't meant for that format, but I really enjoyed it. There we D- go. Look, James Cameron is like turning in his, not quite grave, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yes. You I mean, slagged off Titanic. Titanic. <laughs> oh no. God, he hates it, doesn't he? This is this a bit where I like give you the list of directors I want to work with. James Cameron, top of the list. Um, um, it's not. It, I love Terminator Two. There you go. One of my favourite films. Brilliant. Brilliant. James James is back on side. Yeah. Terminator Two was my wife's favourite movie when she was seven years old. Oh my god! Hardcore. She was seven years old, and Terminator Two was her favourite movie because she had those parents that just let her watch anything. And I'm just like, it just makes me laugh. Because if you met my wife, you'd go, that is like the, the last thing I'd expect. <laughs> Tom, we have one last question for yeah. you. The, the ultimate question. Mm-hmm. What is the perfect cinema snack? Well, I am all about pick and mix. I'm all about pick and mix. To a degree where I will absolutely fill it up with absolutely everything Go for the lighter things, but I'm, you know, and sours, basically sour cola bottles, fizzy cola bottles, fizzy cherry cola bottles, Astro Belts. That's my excuse. What are you drinking? Because the fizzy stuff doesn't really go with most drinks. I know, I have to drink water with that. <laughs> 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 Otherwise it gets a little bit intense and I'm just like, ah. But no, the, no um, the big question is, do, you, do US cinemas do better pick a mix than UK cinemas? What's the difference between the two? No, they don't really. I think UK cinemas do do it better, to be quite honest. Um, I think there's more choice. And um, yeah, the US is all like the US. They don't bring snacks in. They bring like a meal in. They bring like (laughs) everything. Let's recap then. So you have given us so many films there. We could have a whole season, to to be frank. And I'd love to I'd love to try and do this season. But first of all, let's start with the film you started us off with. Shawshank Redemption. Mm hmm. Perfect venue, outdoor cinema, Victoria Park, was it? Yeah. And pick and mix and water as your snack and drink of yeah. choice. Yeah. Once I've finished the pick and mix, I'll be onto the beers, but yeah. And a, stri- and a strict no no speaking, no assault policy. <laughs> no speaking, well. no assaulting, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Tom, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Oh, I've really enjoyed it, guys. Thank you so much. 
okay, it's official. The crush is still there on Tom Ellis. I love him. I also love how much he loves Julie Andrews. I was not expecting <laughs> that to sort of come out in such force throughout the interview. So I, I knew there were Mary Poppins purists out there. I didn't expect to have one on our very podcast. <laughs> the head of them. <laughs> um, do you think I got a little bit overexcited when um, I realised that we'd been at the same premiere of Whiplash. <laughs> it's been a long time since we've had any collective experiences that's at the true. cinema, Rihanna, so I think that's perfectly fine. Okay, phew. And also, Tom Hanks, the love for Tom Hanks. I totally, you know, I completely love everything that he does, and I do think that he will always go down in history as just one of the most popular and most beloved film stars of all time. I just... I don't think you can ever come away from a Tom Hanks film not just feeling a little bit warmed inside. Mm -hmm. And dependable, the word that Tom used, I think, yeah. is very, very accurate. You know you're safe if you're going to see a Tom Hanks mm -hmm. film. I like that he likes Kenneth Branagh too. But my favourite part of talking with Tom was this almost beautiful three-act structure we had <laughs> with his relationship with the films of James Cameron. <laughs> As a youngster seeing Titanic not really getting on with it then watching the 3d spectacular that is avatar on a plane but loving it and then with his wife later in life finding out that she was age seven watching terminator 2 which i think i think i was probably around that age when i saw that film you know i absolutely love the fact that he saw avatar on a plane of all places in the like the smallest screen pod. the only way it could have been worse is if he had seen it on like an old ipod or something you know like that's the only way to make that experience worse and he still loved it so he's in for a treat when the sequels come out yeah exactly that's the power of cinema right there rihanna We've got loads of amazing guests still to join us over the next few weeks. They are going to be sitting next to us in our plush red cinema seats, enjoying the collective experience of films together. So make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss out on any of our conversations. We'll see you next time. Bye. This is My Cinema is a Little Dot Studios production for Biffa. The show is hosted by Rihanna Dillon and Michael Leader. It's produced by Jake Cunningham, Ellie Aitken and Harold McShiel. And we're edited by Content is Queen. Content is Queen.